guys welcome back to the beautiful boxing podcast as always look thanks for the feedback from the previous episode i did with riku really enjoyed it the feedback's been really good it seems a lot of people enjoyed it um as always you know the numbers are trending in the right direction to to quote eddie hearn but it's i guess it's a tricky climate in which to be recording and you almost want to muster some enthusiasm for for boxing when other things are going on and it's not just the George Floyd thing and it's not just the you know the lockdown and people breaking and people not breaking it the lack of leadership and to the point where we've almost had to become our own leaders it's I mean in and into that maelstrom of events you're starting to now feel the fact that you know if boxing does come back, it's going to be pretty lackluster. And so it's been, it's been difficult to, to find that enthusiasm. But one thing that did put a smile on my face was enjoying the, the first year anniversary of Operation Undisputed going horribly tits up. So <laughs> if we go back to 2019 and the plan had been for Joshua to have his showcase fight in New York against Jarrell Millen, Jarrell Miller was picked because he's, I mean, he, he's got pillow fists for a start. And he, he looks the part because he's a bit of a lump. But to be honest with you, not much cop, not really a skilled boxer. And as we found out, there were reasons why that he was able to do what he did for 12 rounds. So the genesis of the New York trip was was that kind of homecoming. Almost like if we go back to Rocky, it was, it was, it was remnants of Apollo Creed. We're just going to give someone a chance on a showcase event, but this is really all about us. <laughs> and on June 1st, 2019, they clearly picked the wrong opponent because Andy Ruiz came to fight. Andy Ruiz came to fight with the, the burning injustice of what happened in the Joseph Parker fight. Well, it was actually more that he didn't turn up. And that's been a Ruiz trend. He kind of swings between really turning up and not turning up at all. And so we had seven rounds of brilliant boxing drama. And remember, the, and you can, you can hear this, the Sky guys had been programmed to sell the story. Joshua's come to America. He's come to Wilder's backyard to plant his flag and say, listen, I'm here. Give me that fourth belt and let me be king. <laughs> that was the whole aim of that New York trip. And they built this massive edifice. And they had all these people around Joshua. It was crazy. If you remember, they turned it into this big entertainment extravaganza. This was when Joshua was meant to cross over. This is when Joshua was meant to go from driving middling Range Rovers. And let's be absolutely clear. <laughs> if you drive a Range Rover now you have a middle-of-the-road 4x4, right? Range Rover is. You can name a number of SUVs, 4x4s, that outrank the Range Rover in price, performance, whatever. So he could have gone from that to driving Bentleys. He, he, Anthony Joshua was on that, that precipice of true greatness. You know, in terms of being a marketable star, crossover star, they were trying to put him in that LeBron category. Andrew Ruiz was having none of it. Andrew Ruiz was like, nah, I don't think you're a tough guy. Think about that. Andrew Ruiz showed up with the mindset of, I don't think you're a tough guy. And he did it all in the build-up. He was, he was nice and he was friendly. 
because he was like, I like Anthony Josh, he's a nice guy. But there was always that thing in Andrew Ruiz's thing, whenever he responded to something of, I don't believe he's a tough guy. And in the fight, he showed he didn't believe Joshua was a tough guy. And I think I said it at the time. From that third round to that seventh round, Andy Ruiz peeled away every layer of Anthony Joshua's character. And what you realized was you had a bully. You had a guy that had always survived on being bigger than everyone else. Not necessarily tougher, bigger and stronger. And when you met someone that could stand up to him, that all unravels because now you've got to find toughness and it's not in you because you never went looking for it. And so that defeat was the point where you realized Joshua will never be one of the all-time greats. He will never be one of the all-time greats because you don't believe Joshua would ever go back into hostile fire. Now, when you go back in history, Ali went back. And Ali went to war. Remember this, right? Ali went to war with Frazier in the Thrill in Manila already after having been dropped in 1971 in Fight of the Century. And he said, no, 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 no. You and I are going to bang out because that's how you achieve greatness. With George Foreman, he didn't run. He did not run. We talk about rope-a-dope, and it's a, it's a clever headline. But if you actually go back and watch Ali versus Foreman, Ali had Foreman pretty much under control. Like how he took some of those shots, yeah, I'm like, wow. It's unbelievable courage and it's unbelievable toughness. That's the word, tough. But Ali had Foreman under control. He was putting him where he wanted to put him. And he had the energy at the end when Foreman was tired to take him out. It's what great champions do. In this fight, Joshua didn't. And the people listening to this who are pro-Joshua will tell me, well, look at what he did in Saudi. Well, uh, they came up with this brilliant game plan. They had five people around the table and they devised this way to get the belts back. And it was so meticulous and so scientific. We, he could... He couldn't have lost. He could not have lost in drink water. Drink, oh, who cares, man? We'll never go there again. Who cares? But actually, in the second fight, all Joshua did was what McCracker told him to do in the first fight. Do not get involved with this guy. Do not stand and trade with this guy. But in that second fight, he fought an inferior Ruiz. And he knows he did. Joshua will forever be tarnished by that night because great champions don't come, they don't come unstuck like that and then run around in the rematch. So if you look at Lennox, because I know people bring up Lennox as a guy who, who stumbled and fell a few times. What did Lennox do when he came back? Destroyed the person. We don't talk about outclassing. I want to hear about boxing masterclass. He restored dominance in that relationship. If you say to Haseem Rackman, Who's the better fighter, you or Lennox? Hasim Rackman will say Lennox. Imagine it's the same with Oliver McCall. Was it Michael Mora? Nah, who knows? You imagine it will be the same with Oliver McCall. Who, who's tougher, you or Lennox? Lennox. Mike Tyson, who's Lennox? Lennox came to take you out. And that's the thing Joshua's going to have to learn. You need to take out the big names. You, it's not running around the ring. 
that, that may have got you your belts back. It didn't get you your honor back. Because you have a feeling Ruiz is looking at Joshua like, I can beat you anytime I want. I just have to get in shape. And that's a, that's a big if. But we're a year down the line. 12 months down the line. We're no better off, right? It's just that the other belt has changed hands. And in fact, the other belt has had a more storied life. The WBC belt has made more millionaires than the Joshua belt. Many times over. And now we're right back where we started a year ago, going, will these guys ever unify? And we're still talking about the same obstacles, the mandatories, the location, the splits, the fees. We're right back where we started, and that's shit for the fans, but it's fantastic for the promoters, right? Hearn, zone, ESPN, Top Rank, Frank, everyone's in love with the fact that they've been able to drag this out. And as boxing fans, we've swallowed it. They've got another year of revenue, another year of, of storyline. That's what the, uh, another year of storyline. This is like another season of Breaking Bad. Long after we wanted it to end. Now we've got going to 2021 at the earliest. Probably 2022 now. Because none of these big guns are coming out as long as, as long as there's social distancing. As long as the government are taking money off the table, none of these big guns are coming out. Anthony Joshua will not fight in a half-full arena. Anthony Joshua will not fight in a Sky Studio. Tyson Fury will not fight in a Sky Studio. Like, now, we're a long way off seeing those heavyweight belts get reunited. So all we really have in this whole sorry story are three things, right? Fury getting up from the dead against Wilder. Joshua getting absolutely pummeled by Andy Ruiz. And Tyson Fury running over Deontay Wilder in a way that no one expected. And you know that's a serious win because Joshua's still scared of Wilder. And that's all we have to show for all of these years of talking of undisputed and there needs to be one man at the top and that's how you're going to make all the money and become a billionaire boxer. That is all... 12 months later, we're looking back and going, we have nothing for this apart from Fury getting up from the dead, Joshua not getting up from the dead at all, and Wilder getting run over by a Fury bus. And it comes back to what boxing fans are willing to stomach. Are you going to watch the next Joshua fight? You probably are because you, you can't, I don't even know, how, you, you can't pull yourself away. You're going to watch the next Fury fight. Why? Can't pull yourself away. The next Wilder fight, if it's not Fury, because you can't pull yourself away. And promoters have been exploiting that because they know boxing fans are scared of missing out. They know boxing fans are scared of missing that moment where they can be part of the, of the discussion. And they know that. And it's up to you as fans to make a stand. And fans at the moment aren't demanding more from the promoters. So you're not getting more. And... It's hard to feel sorry for boxing fans in this current climate because they're getting what they ask for. But on a side note, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we haven't seen Anthony Joshua box, really, for six months. We haven't really seen him in action, in anger, for about six months now. And 
while we've seen Fury training, we've seen Fury, you know, ticking over, staying active, we haven't really seen Joshua do anything, which is a surprise because if you think about the, the six months prior to this period now, we saw nothing but Joshua training, and now we're seeing nothing. Now, I've heard rumors that he got touched with the corona or he had the symptoms, so he had to self-isolate for a while. I've, uh, that's kind of leaked out. You know, I've also heard he's got injuries, all sorts. But it'll be interesting to see if someone like Joshua, who relies on being active and athletic as part of his fight approach, and especially seeing as he's now, I think he's now the wrong side of 30, it'll be interesting to see what impact that has. Because I think by the time Joshua fights, he'd have been out the ring for a year. So how do you get that momentum back? Fury wouldn't have been. I think Fury, yeah, Fury boxed this year. Wilder boxed this year. Joshua hasn't boxed this year. And it doesn't look likely that he will box this year. Because from look, if you look at the Middle East, the Middle East is still wrestling with the corona pandemic. So they don't want to take that risk. So it's hard to, it's hard to get that, that three to six month lead time where you can say, look, this is where we're going to do it. I think the United States is still in chaos in terms of leadership over corona. We definitely will be in a social distancing period for the rest of the year. So when do you have Joshua out? I don't think you have Joshua out before December, maybe November time at the earliest. And that would have been nearly a year out the ring. That's a year out the ring, no sparring, no nothing. Now he's going to have to get up to speed. He's going to have to get momentum going. And so, so you wonder if this period is going to hit Joshua harder than the other two. Just a question to throw out there. But let's see. Let's see. We're hoping for more in the next six months than we've had in the last because this heavyweight saga needs to end at some point. Otherwise, we'll end up just going, you know, we never got the fights we wanted to see. And I, I think it's a 50-50 chance that ends up happening now. One thing I do want to touch on, and, and maybe someone has the answer and someone will tweet me the answer and maybe I've got the complete wrong end of the stick. Eddie Hearn was talking about doing fights in his back garden in July. So either two in July, two in August, three in July, one in August, one in July, three in August. I have no idea what the split was, but he wanted to do four fight nights. Right? He was calling them Fight Club, and he kept talking up Fight Club. We saw the pictures. You know, he was walking around the garden, showing us what it could look like. But we're in June. So I've checked around with friends of mine that work in insurance. I don't think Hearn's put in the application to, to change insurance because obviously if you're going to start promoting events at Maskell's or whatever that place is called, you're going to need to change the nature of the insurance because you're not covered to stage a boxing event. So someone has to come in and do the risk assessment, they've got to do the survey, they've got to do all of this stuff before they can even set your premium. None of that's happened. And because none of that's happened, they haven't even started building. If you look, they haven't started laying anything down. Like it doesn't look like they've done any work. They haven't started any work. And just to get that ready for fight night, that's got to be at least four to six weeks worth of work. So if nothing else, to be ready in July, you'd want this thing ready at the beginning of July. So you could test it. You know, you could have some people running around just to make sure that the whole thing works. You'll do some test broadcasts as well. It's a lengthy piece of work to get 
someone's back garden ready to stage a fight that is broadcast worthy, right? Because you're going to have to charge people for this or someone's going to have to pay for this somewhere. And none of that work started. We still don't have the first fight card. So all we're hearing is, yeah, fighters, stay ready. You don't know when you're going to get the call. But this is the point now. Having spoken to a few boxers, this is the point where you need a fight day because that's when you're going to start getting your focus in. And we, we're not, we're not, we haven't been given the first card yet. So if you want the fighters to have six weeks to get ready for the fight, when are you going to announce it? I have a feeling it's getting harder and harder to make the fight camp thing work. And I suspect Hearn will keep dragging it out because it keeps his name relevant. But I don't think you will see anything happening on that front anytime soon. So all the people getting ready to watch boxing back on Sky in July, just think about where you're at right now, right? Number one, no boxers in shape. I haven't seen a single boxer who's in boxing shape. They're in shape to run a 5K. They're in shape to run a 10K. They're in shape to cycle from London to South End, absolutely. They are not in shape to box. The timing's off. The speed is off. They're mostly coming in heavy. So guys, have, guys probably have three weeks worth of weight loss to do. Then you've got to spar. Then you've got to train. Then you've got to do all this preparation. I think a while ago I said I don't anticipate anyone boxing before September. I stand by that. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not like the US, which we'll come on to. It's not like the US where there are different rules in different states. So you can actually be in certain states and be training out of your gym. A lot of people haven't had to stop training. Here, we've all had to stop training. We've had to stop sparring. The gyms have been shut. I think Pico probably opened on June 1st, so yesterday, depending when you're listening to this. And the other gyms have been kind of opening on a secret basis. I know Churchill, so Sam Mullins, it kind of opens unofficially. And all those sorts of things, right? So we're at that point now where if the car's not announced now, write July off. Now you start to look towards August. Two weeks' time, I'll tell you. Now write August off. Start to look towards September. But I just don't think Hearn has a clue what he's going to do because he can't find fights that will make money without sacrificing money. Does that make sense? So we're hearing about Ted Cheeseman versus Sam Eggington. Okay, you do that on Fight Camp. Fans will accept that. But now you're taking away a filler bout from a, a bigger pay-per-view card. Cheeseman versus Eggington should be on like a Chisora versus Usyk or a White versus Povetkin. It's a great bout to fill the card. If you're umming and ahhing about buying the pay-per-view, that might swing you. So if you put that on Fight Camp, now you've got to fill this with this guy versus a nobody. And at this point, Hearn realized how thin his stable is because you can't bring people over from America. That doesn't work. Okay? You can't bring, from June 8th, you cannot bring Povetkin in. He needs to sit in quarantine for two weeks. So White v. Povetkin is off. White, uh, Chisora v. Usyk is off. You can't bring people in from abroad. Joshua v. Pulev. Does Joshua really want to go abroad, fight Pulev, come back and have to do the quarantine? Does Pulev want to do the two weeks quarantine? None of these big fights can happen just because logistically it's impossible. So what do you fill your card with? Hearns dragged a lot of fans up the garden path 
and Coogan's entertain this because it's views. But these fights can't happen. And it's not even about money. It's not about splits. It's about the simple fact that until these lockdown restrictions are eased, until we have what they're calling the air bridges between countries deemed to be safe, and we are not safe, not at like two, 300 people dying a day, we're not safe. You're not coming here. So, for me, the easiest solution would have been a non-title fight, either Joshua Chisora or Joshua versus Dillian White. Non-title, just to, just, mate, just get at it. Even throw Fury in the mix. Just get at it. You lot just fight each other, right? Two fights, one on Sky, one on BT. Right, let's start building the energy. Because that's the only way I can see heavyweight boxing taking off now. The big guys aren't coming. Save, save your time, save your energy. Stop listening to the Eddie Hearn interviews. From June 8th, no one can come into this country that hasn't been isolated for two weeks. Now, if you've been isolated for two weeks, yeah, who are you sparring? Who are you training with? Who are you around? You're not allowed around anyone. So it's not practical. Don't buy into this IFL fucking propaganda and this nonsense. Mate, we know 80% of what Hearn says never happens, and this isn't going to be any different. But a man who has got his act together, no surprise at all, is Bob Arum. And so on June 9th, so a week today as we're recording, you'll get to see basically the class of 2016, right? So you've got... I'm going to say Michaela Mayer first because shouts out to the ladies in boxing. You've got uh, Robesley Ramirez, the Cuban guy who won Olympic gold in 2016. You've got Shakur Stevenson, who he beat to win Olympic gold in 2016. You've got the young kid, Jared Anderson, boxing as well. Super talented. Surprise, he didn't make it to um, Tokyo 2020. He was definitely on the USA radar. So he's boxing. I'm trying to think who else may be involved in that. But there's a group of the, the 2016 guys, uh, plus Jared Anderson, that will be uh, the, the Italian heavyweight, Vianello, will be boxing as well. So what a way to, to come back. That, that's, that's how you do next-gen. Right? We've tried it here. It hasn't worked. That's the next-gen card. Right? You take all your hot prospects. It doesn't matter what level they're at, world champions. Hot, take all your hot prospects. Get them out first. No traffic. All, all eyes are on your guys now. And if you match them properly, this is a great showcase for the talent that Top Rank have. And so this is their next wave of world champions and they get that exposure. This is the stuff Hearn should have been doing. But he goes to the cupboard and his cupboard's pretty bare. Like His 2016 intake have kind of stumbled. And yet so much was promised. Like Lawrence should have had a world title shot now. Joshua Boatsy should have been in that kind of European slash fringe world mix now. We should be talking about them going world titles in a year and a half, right? That's, Lawrence should be a world, I think Lawrence should be a world champion. Now we should have at least a world, a world title fight under his belt. And then you start looking, you go, Fowler. Hmm. Uh, who else came in 2016? Katie Taylor, right? Hmm. Uh, Jonas. So all these guys have come through and you just think, our 2016 class is not that impressive. 
Bob Arum's is. Jesus, is Bob Arum's impressive. So I don't know if I'll be staying up to watch it. I'll definitely be trying to catch it on some kind of repeat broadcast because I'm all over that. Like, I want to see how good these guys are. And it's good to just have them as, just, as a bunch of prospects where we can just get to see are they any good, are they not any good. I don't want them to be in challenging fights. I want them to be in fights that aren't walkovers, but we can see what they're able to do, what they're not able to do. That's what I'm looking forward to. And then Bob Arum's got a card on the 11th. Like Bob's coming in, like he's just set the pace now. So all that talk Hearn was doing about fighting in his back garden, trying to be first out, Bob Arum's first out. And once again, Eddie Hearn's been revealed to be talking out of his backside. But something I want to touch on, and I might reach out to these guys because I wouldn't mind a, a discussion around this. I think, I think this story exemplifies everything that is frustrating about boxing in this country. So if you remember before the lockdown, we were told it was Chris Congo versus Luther Clay. They did the presser. You know, the whole Bracknell, where's that? You know, they did the presser. This fight, I assume if you do a press conference, the fight is, is signed. Right? So, so th this fight's meant to happen. And at this time, there's another welterweight floating around, Tamuka Muchapondwa, 2012 ABA champion. That's a long time ago. Jesus and was fringe English-British level. Probably deserved one of those shots. So he's kind of somewhere. We don't know where he is. I thought he was still with the Sanigals or maybe still in Reading, right? But he's still floating around. I'm like Clay v. Congo. I just want Chris to box, right? At this point, I want Chris to box. I quite like Luther Clay because he's Southern African. Like, I'm biased like that, sorry. So Chris is, Chris is a guy I've known a long time. I've got a lot of respect for him, we're cool. Don't really know Luther. Like, know of him, you know, exchange a few tweets here and there, but can't say I know him to say I know him. Tamuka, eh, same thing. Southern African, so we're cool. Few messages, we're friends on Facebook and stuff, but nothing where we've been for a beer together. Chris, I've known, we've been at shows together, we've been around boxing together, right? And I want Chris to fight. Now, I think this is going to be a good fight. Luther's come out of nowhere. Um... I know he did some work with, with Adam Martin. I don't know if he still does, but he's come out of nowhere and he's shown that he's got the goods. As soon as he got given his TV opportunity, he took it. So fair play to him. So I'm looking forward to this fight. So over time, it starts to go cool on that front. And then in the interim, Tamuka now goes with Dave Caldwell. Dave, Dave needs bodies at the moment. And he needs bodies at that kind of British level because there's a certain revenue level Dave Caldwell needs to keep his gym going up in Rotherham. So he needs someone of that level, someone he can put into a fight with a Conor Ben and make a fair bit of cash. And also people need to remember, Dave Caldwell's one of Hearn's original partners. Like, they've been through this journey together. Right? Hearn and Caldwell have done this together. Like, when they were partnering and there was fight pass and there was this, it was that, and Caldwell was doing Caldwell boxing, that was all, like, they were all friends. Steve Wood, Steve Goodwin. These guys were all friends. The pictures are out there if you want to find them. So Dave, I don't want to say he's got a lot of pull with Eddie. 
but he's got that relationship with Eddie where he can ask for a favor. So all of a sudden, you start to see the, the energy change around the Congo versus Clay fight. And you start to look and you go, okay, there's three guys here. If we're being honest, the hardest one to beat is Chris Congo. He's, he's too tall, he's too long, he's too skilled. So now you can see what they do. So Dave Caldwell goes, I quite like the, the Conor Ben fight or the, or the British title fight further down the line. So I need someone like a Luther Clay. Luther's thinking the same thing. Luther Clay versus Tamuka, easier fight for both of them. Now Dave's like, I'm back in the mix. And Dave uses his pull. Now Chris is back on the outside again. And so I think we're in a position now where Chris Congo's out of that fight. And that's, for me, I don't blame the fighters for this. I think this is boxing politics. I think, you know, if you're a fighting man, you'll fight anyone. And so I was disappointed that that's happened, A, for Chris, B, for depriving the fans of what would have been a pretty good fight. But C, just because it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's not really about ability because Chris Congo should have already fought for the British title by now. Now, without revealing too much under the bonnet, Chris should have probably signed with the McGuigans when the opportunity presented itself. He was loyal to the wrong person for the wrong reasons at the wrong time, and he's paid a heavy price for that. Because had he, had he signed with the McGuigans, he'd be a sky fighter now like Chris Bidham Smith is. He'd have had that, that muscle behind him. And I don't think he's ever really had that muscle. I know he's affiliated with Dillian, but Dillian doesn't really bang the fight. You know, if you think the way the WBC have treated Dillian is abysmal, the way boxing's treated Chris Congo is an absolute disgrace. An absolute disgrace. And look, I'd take any one of those guys on a quick phone call on a podcast, because I have questions. I'm trying to understand this myself. It, it leaves me a bit flat. Now, they're all interesting guys. They're all interesting fighters, and they can all box, if I'm being honest with you. I think they're all talented. But all this, this fucking around, mate, just that they should be getting at it. Those should be the fights happening in Hearn's back garden. Literally, those are the kind of fights we want to see. So why this is so tedious and tiresome, I have no idea, but I guess it's boxing. And, you know, in terms of when that fight will happen, I, I don't think Luther Clay's anywhere near welterweight at the moment. So <laughs> he, he's no different to any other fighter, if I'm being honest with you. A lot of these guys are, are out of shape from a boxing perspective, overweight from their fighting weight. The only guy who seems to be dropping weight, man, is Liam Cameron. So big shout out to Liam Cameron. Uh, Someone needs to do something about that ban. Just let the guy come back and, you know, have three or four years back in boxing. He's, he's paid a heavy price. He's paid a heavier price than most people who get caught with shit in their system. And, you know, you know it comes back to if anyone saw the video of Jarrell Miller coming back into training. What was interesting was how many people just referenced Jarrell Miller as a drug cheat. Like the first 10 comments were like, now nah, you're a drug cheat. Hate you. You're a drug cheat. You're this. And I always wonder, do you hate the fact that he took drugs or do you hate the fact that he got caught? Because if you hate the fact that he took drugs, as we showed in the episode with Larry Olumbawiwo, if you hate the fact that he took drugs, just know that everyone else has. Now, if you hate the fact that he, he got caught, 
have that same energy with all the other heavyweights that got caught. And you never see that because everyone's got their, their pet projects and it just seems that Gerard Miller is kind of the, the dog without a home at the moment. So we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. I suspect he'll be fighting one of Fury or Wilder, make his name that way. And then, you know, once he gets beat and Joshua will start making noises about wanting to, to beat some respect into him and that's what will happen. And Aaron will then use him to drain some of that zone money out as well. But I don't know, man. I'm just, we're, we're in this, look, like I said, right at the beginning of the podcast, we're in this unique period where there's nothing to get excited about in boxing. There's just nothing where you're like, I'm looking forward to that big fight. There's nothing. And because of that, we're all just sat here twiddling our thumbs and just trying to take up new hobbies and new interests when, truth be told, we might never get the boxing that we remember back again. I'm at my 30-minute limit, and I said I'd stop after half an hour because I know what people are like, but I want you guys to bear with me. There's a couple more things I want to touch on, so please stay with this episode. Stay with it. One of the things I wanted to touch on was... And it was a complaint. Like, one of the boxers was talking about they haven't made any money since January, right? Because they haven't fought. And I understand that. Because the traditional boxing model is you make money when you fight, unless you've got a sponsor, then you kind of make money when they cut you a check. So I was thinking about who's been making money in this lockdown. And so I got talking to... Instagram's a strange tool. It's a fantastic tool. So I got talking to a few few adult stars, porn stars, whatever you want to call them, we were talking about OnlyFans. And they were explaining to me how OnlyFans works. So essentially on OnlyFans, it's like a social media network, right? So there'll be pictures, there'll be videos, there'll be messages and so forth, right? It all, it all happens, but it all happens behind a paywall. So you may, uh, let's think, who's the, Who's a decent adult star who'd be worth watching? Aspen Ray, because I know her, know her personally. So Aspen Ray, Aspen Ray doesn't OnlyFans, for example. I don't know if she does, actually. I should ask her. Aspen Ray doesn't OnlyFans. And she may charge you $3.99. For $3.99, you have access to the photos only. For $7.99 a month, you have access to the photos and the videos. Now, you may decide to then, you know, make in-app purchases, right? So if you want a custom video or if you want her to send you a WhatsApp message, that might be $50 or whatever. And so I started to think about this because the numbers are impressive. If, if, you, if you can leverage your Instagram following, so let's say you've got 200,000 followers, I'm just making numbers up. If you can get 1% of those onto your OnlyFans and subscribe, that's a minimum of like seven, eight grand a month churning. And I'm surprised boxers aren't on this. And maybe some are. But if I was a boxer, immediately now, I'd be looking at what's in my phone and there's stuff that you can't share with the public, right? There might be some sparring footage. I know guys like Uma probably have that. Dan Aziz will have some of that. Maybe he's got some footage with Darren Till. You've got some footage that you keep secret that's only shared between groups of mates or fellow fighters, right? Put that shit behind a paywall. 
Because fans always say, I wonder how this guy would have got on inspiring against that guy. You can find out if you want to pay your $3.99 a month and we'll just keep doing this. Because boxers just throw content out there for free. And they've been doing this for a long time on the mistaken assumption that it leads to more ticket sales. I promise you, you can do a million views on IFL. Real, imagined, doesn't matter. You can do a million views on IFL. If you shift 10 extra tickets, I'll be surprised. Boxes, once you, honestly, once you suss this OnlyFans format, and it ain't going to work for everyone, but the ones that it will work for, you'll never do an IFL interview again because you become your own platform. And that's what these adult stars were teaching me. You've got to become your own platform. Don't rely on, like, they don't rely on the studios. The studios are just there for them to, to create content that just goes on Pornhub and it's free, right? So you might get um, whoever, and then you might, you might, uh, what's the name? You, you might get Crystal Lux. Is that her name? No, it's Crystal Lust, sorry. You might get someone like a Crystal Lust or whoever on, on the free sites. But if you really want to see like the, the non-headless pornography, you got to get on the OnlyFans. you got to get on the premium. you got to get behind the paywall. And I know fans are complaining, oh, I already buy tickets. Listen, if I'm a subscriber, I might not buy tickets because now I'm saying, look, you've got enough subscribers. You're making a good income. There's fighting shit. That's cool. But that's just, you know, part of the, the marketing mix. And I'm surprised more boxers don't look at it. Now, uh, Patreon probably doesn't work. I think Patreon's just got negative connotations behind it. I think OnlyFans seems to work. Uh, FanWise seems to be another one. But boxers should be looking at that. Number one, identify the content in your phone, in your camera, that people would be interested in. I, would, I, just, I don't want to see you skipping. Yeah, I'm not paying $3.99 to watch you skip, you fucking donuts. I'm not, paying, I'm not paying to watch you run. I'm not paying to watch you cycle. I'm paying to watch you spar. I want to see heads get taken off. You know, like when, when Ammo put that video up. If he had put that behind the, the paywall, for people to be gossiping about it, someone would have had to pay to watch it. And then from what I gather, it's pretty difficult to take the video off those sorts of sites. There's, it's pretty well locked down, like the BBC website. So if you're a boxer, I'm telling you now, this is how you make your money. Yeah? Something like OnlyFans.com is how you make your money. Because you can always generate content. Go there. You know when you have those brutal spas, make sure you make films there. And then that goes straight up. And you don't put all of it up there, man. You put the little, I mean, little, little two-minute segments. But you keep that content flowing so people get to watch it. But just don't put shit content on there or people will unsubscribe. But, and so this is going to force boxers to stop being lazy. But it means you don't need Boxing Social. You don't really need IFL. You don't need Seconds Out. You don't need any of those platforms anymore. They don't do nothing for you. Once you've got your own fans, listen, <laughs> the target for everyone should be, look, all I need, about 1,000 subscribers, 1,500 subscribers. You know, one caveat, you might have to do some, you might get asked to do some, some stuff you're uncomfortable with. You, know? you might be asked to send your used socks, you might be asked to send your underwear. That's up to you. I mean, you charge what you want for that, or you can not get involved in that. That's up to you. But the OnlyFans platform just gives you a private option in which you can make money. That your manager doesn't get a cut of that because that's stuff you're doing yourself. Stop looking for sponsors. Get on your hustle. Yeah? 
You have valuable content in those phones, in those cameras. Use it. Stop giving it away for free because that ain't helping you sell tickets and it's not helping you feed your family, especially at a time like this. You don't need to be relevant. You just need to get money. And if you think about that, that five minutes of game I just gave boxers right there, take every boxing manager there is in this country, what I just gave you there is more valuable than anything they're giving you. What I just gave you there is a chance for you to eat. Not, not, not all of this, nah, I'm going to put you in position, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but they don't help you with sponsors. They don't introduce you to people who could help your career. They don't hook you up. Your manager's just there to take the cut. They don't hook you up. What are you paying this guy 25% for? Make your own money. Make your own money. Make your own decisions. You've been boxing for three years. It's time to self-manage. That's it. Self-manage. You don't need these other guys, man. They're, they're just leeching from you. Yeah, they're leeching from you, and they, they keep that manager off for no other reason than it's a way for them to control your career. Man, control your own career, man. Take ownership like everyone else in this country has to. Take responsibility for your own success and your own income. But look, it will be remiss of me to do a whole podcast episode and not talk about what's going on in, in this country, in the US, and I think New Zealand was protesting not long ago. The right thing for me to do is to speak about it. Now, this is a boxing podcast and people come on here because they want to hear stuff about boxing. We're not politicians. This is not, po it's not political broadcast, nor do, nor do I want it to be. But I have to speak on it because the themes of the last few days are the themes of my life. You know, we've had our own. We've had our, we've had our Mark Duggins. You know, we've had all kinds of things happen at the hands of the police in this country. You know, I still remember Smiley Culture. Rest in peace, Smiley Culture. Now, I could sit here and tell you Britain's racist to the core, and I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's true at all. I think we have a problem, and the problem is this. It's hard to care about things that aren't on your front door. It really is. I know people will say to me, look, I never see race in my life, and yeah, that's fine, cool, I respect that. But there's a difference between not seeing race and seeing race and accepting it, right? One of the things I've been impressed with, just even in my lifetime, is how much progress women have made in society. Like, and just on a boxing level, from, from Jane Couch having to kick the doors down when I was a teenager in the 90s, to now watching young Ellie Scottney getting ready for her debut. Like, the progress is immense. The fact that Ellie Scottney can now look at herself and go, I can make a decent living boxing and I can make a decent living beyond that. That humbles me. That's, that's a sign of a lot of progress. We still have a lot of progress to make in terms of LGBTQ and all the other letters. We have a lot of progress to make there. If you remember, I think it was, was it Orlando Cruz, the, the boxer who came out as gay, and he had a hard time of it. 
and you go back in history, Emil Griffith, we've struggled a bit more in that sense. I think less so in female boxing. If you look at Terry Harper, Terry Harper is a world champion and she's out. So we've made some progress in that sense. I don't believe we've made those sorts of leaps and bounds in terms of race. And the reason I believe that is it's not close enough to a lot of people. It's hard to be sexist when your mum's a woman, your sister's a woman, your daughter's a woman. It's hard to be sexist if there's a chance your son might be gay, your daughter might be gay, your mum or dad might be gay. It will sober you up pretty damn quickly. It will challenge your beliefs immediately because you'd have to exclude that which you love. You'd have to exclude that which you grew up with. You'd have to exclude that which is part of who you are. Race is different. I can exclude race. If I live in Uganda, I can go my whole life not seeing white people in person. If I live in South Africa, I can segregate myself as a white person so my whole life is geared around white people. And it happens a lot in South Africa. There are all white towns, all white suburbs, all white gated communities where you cannot buy unless you're white. And when you can create that kind of division where there is no prospect of it ever coming together, that is when you get things like the George Floyd murder. The guys that killed him don't have to go home to black sons and black daughters and you know, black aunts and uncles. They don't. They go back to what they know and what they're familiar with, what they care about. Because we deal with what's on our front door. It's easier for us. It's more comfortable for us. It was the same with Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin. All these things are the same. You don't have to go home and see a Trayvon Martin. So when you wonder why people take to the streets and protest and why people get angry, it is because when I see George Floyd dead, I see my friend Malachi, I see my friend Cham, I see my, fr I see my, fr I see my uncles, I see my, my cousins, I see my nephews. It's it's too close for me not to take a stance. And so the only thing I can say to people is remember that. Your natural instincts will be, let me zero in on what's important to me, what's familiar to me, what I can identify with. And that's human nature. But I'm going to ask everyone, take that step into the middle. Everyone, wherever your background, take that step into the middle. Be kind to people because we have a shared life. Park race to the side for a second. We all have to go to Tesco. Listen, I buy the Fentiman's Curiosity Cola just like everyone else does. I buy my Chicago Town loaded cheese stuffed crust pizza like everyone else does. I have to get on the tube like everyone else does. I have to pay tax like everyone else does. So many things unite us. We complain about the same things. Race is so far down that list. Gender is so far down that list. Sexuality is so far down that list because most of what we do is a shared human experience. And all I can ask is let's embrace that idea, the idea of a shared human experience. And let's understand that we all have to take that step into the middle. Our individual cultures and identities aren't that important to everyone else. What is important is our shared human experience. Until we get to a point where we can do that. Just like you feel at a football ground, that shared human experience, a boxing bout, 
that shared human experience. If we can live with that energy, everyone becomes a brother, sister, friend. You know, we bond. And I probably won't speak on it again, but I think we can all be better and we can all be kinder to each other. And it's not a lot for us to park race to the side and say, you probably have a lot of the same struggles I do. Shit. No matter what your skin color is, you have the same trouble trying to get your kid to bed, trying to get your dog to stop shitting on the carpet. We live a shared human experience, and we should never forget that. Your humanity is my humanity. Your rights are my rights. I think that's probably a sensible point to close. And I also wanted to salute Floyd Mayweather for paying for the George Floyd funeral. And I think that's a pretty noble move on his behalf. And, you know, at times when we don't often praise Floyd for being a man of integrity, I think that's a moment where Floyd has definitely shown he's a man of integrity and he has his finger on the pulse of what's going on. And it's not the first time Floyd's done it. If you remember in 2011, he also paid for the funeral of Gennaro Hernandez, the man he beat for his world title, his first ever world title, actually. It might have been 1998 or 99, I can't even remember. But salute to Floyd, a man of integrity. Maybe not always the best role model, but look, be judged by what you do under pressure. And I think in these troubled times, he's made the right moves. Thanks for listening, guys. I know it's a bit longer than I normally do, but much appreciated and take care.